You are listening to the Ship Shape Podcast. Today on the Ship Shape Podcast, we got Georgia Tyndale. She is a writer coming out of England who's been in the marine industry for some time now, and we're going to pick her brain on how she got into it and um, you know the various tips that she can give if someone were to come in and try to be a writer in the marine industry. Welcome to the show, Georgia. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Yay. So let's start from the beginning. How, how long have you been involved with boats and marine so, stuff? So basically, I am... Um, started in the industry back in 2017 and I started as an editorial assistant for Super Yacht Times which uh, many of you may have heard of they are an Amsterdam-based super yacht publication media company so I basically finished my master's in medieval and renaissance literature at Cambridge University in the UK and thought what can I do that is the absolute opposite <laughs> of uh, academic writing? Because I think I'm they very... had boats. <laughs> <laughs> Not so many in Cambridge. They tend to just have the tiny little, uh, tiny little punts on the river. But wow. I basically found out that academia was far too isolating and um, antisocial for me. I-, I wanted to do something that was a bit more person. Um, had a lot more people in it so so yeah that's that's how I kind of fell into it it was an internship in um, Amsterdam about yachts which I was not expecting to end up in at all. So did you have any knowledge about boating or yachting before you actually started it or you just saw like the gig and you're like okay I'll try this out? Yeah, basically, uh, basically that really. I didn't have any prior knowledge of hmm. the maritime industry. I was born in Whitby, which is a small town in the northeast coast of England, which does have boats, but you know, small fishing boats, and I'd never taken much of an interest. So it was more a case <laughs> of there's a fantastic editorial writing opportunity in a brand new industry that I knew nothing about. Let's hmm. just pardon the pun, dive into it and and see if I can make it into a real uh, a real job rather than an internship and and it all went from there really were all your friends like what are you doing yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) absolutely i mean i don't know how it is in other countries but in the uk it's one of those things where you finish university you finish your masters and it's a question of what do i do next and the logical alternative would have been to get a job in london you know, in marketing Mm. and publishing. But I thought that in terms of an adventure and a new opportunity, this could be something quite special. And I've been Mm. fortunate enough that it's kind of served as a a springing board for my, you know, my career ever since, really. Very nice. And so do you like traveling intrinsically anywhere? Absolutely. No, I've always loved to travel. And that's one of the fantastic things about working in this industry is that obviously water um, tends to connect countries internationally. So you mm-hmm. end up getting to travel a lot. And that's a massive, massive pro of, uh, of having done my job. Interesting. So you because you said you got this internship in Amsterdam. Were you in Amsterdam anyway? And like, no, about, no. No, so I was in the UK, finished mm-hmm. university, saw the internship and then thought, I'll move Ooh. abroad. I'd never been to Amsterdam before. Eh. So I just I just took a complete punt and it um, luckily was a good idea in the end. Wow. 
And so how much have you, So, and you ended up on a super yard, like actually traveling or did you end up in, on an, in an office job? Like how did that go down? So it's the Super Yacht Times office is basically on one of the most, most central canals in Amsterdam. So mm-hmm. it's just a, a very nice canal building. And you work, I work there nine to five, like a normal office job. But mm-hmm. as I kind of rose up the ranks from editorial assistant uh, to assistant editor to editor, I was mm. gradually given more and more responsibility. And with that responsibility came traveling mm. to various boat shows. So I've mm. been lucky enough to go to Miami, Monaco, Cannes, and um, the, uh, Dusseldorf as well, which is also a good show, but maybe less slightly less glamorous in terms of its um, yeah mm. reputation. But yes, so mm. I've been to mm. quite a few shows with them. So obviously one of the things about the marine industry is you kind of need to know about boats in order to really be like effective at writing. So what was the, how did you figure out how to write on boats and what was that learning process like? I had some very good mentors when I was at uh, Super Yacht Times. Shout out to Gemma Fottles, who was the former editor. And she was phenomenal in just taking the time over my articles and taking the care to make sure that all the terminology was used correctly. And actually, once you, if you actually, you know, concentrate and make sure that you ask the right people the right questions, you know, even the stupid ones, you can get your head around the yachting terminology and the maritime terminology quite well and also it helps seeing it you know my trips to shipyards and marinas have been really helpful because then you actually get to see the various parts of the boats in reality and that makes it kind of easier to conceptualize whereas Mm -hmm. if you're only sat in an office it can all feel a bit abstract so you just had a decent amount of exposure to it right off the bat basically and you know a lot of the content could be a little bit samey which is helpful actually at the beginning because then you learn what it means for a boat to be delivered or launched you know you learn these terms quite quickly Mm. and then it becomes second nature to you so give us uh georgia like a current situation what is the super yacht riding industry or maybe you can even speak about the broader super yacht industry what what is it looking like right now especially like post pandemic and all that yeah, it's an interesting place to be. Very interesting. You've obviously got all the headline grabbing things at the moment with, um, you know, the war in Ukraine and Russian oligarchs and all that. So that's has kind of brought the CPO industry more into the spotlight than it's used to being. It, it tends to operate in a quite a, a private, discreet space where it can for the sake of the owners. Um, but in terms of how the industry's fared with COVID, it's actually fared very, very well. Lots of people decided that, you know, life is too short and they want to buy a super yacht and go cruising <laughs> with their families. And it's also a very, you know, a very COVID safe way of traveling mm-hmm. because once you know everyone on your boat doesn't have COVID, then you can be pretty sure that you're safe because uh, you're not interacting with a larger bubble. So, it, and in terms of the brokerage market, it's, it did extremely well. There were record numbers of yachts sold during COVID. And now coming out of it, the question is, can they actually, you know, order books are full in, until 2026. Wow. Supply of materials can be an issue. You know, actually delivering on those orders will be interesting, especially given the complications in the supply chain caused by COVID, Ukraine, etc. So mm-hmm. it'll just be a question of delivering on those promises and those orders that have been made during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So you think prices are only going up? Yeah. 
<laughs> but I'm no market expert. I'm just a uh, I'm just a mere writer, so don't use okay. me as an indication as to whether you should buy a super yacht, Merrill. Yeah, yeah. George is <laughs> saying if you want a super yacht, buy it now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, okay. Here's a good question. So, how would you even define a super yacht? You know, when I talk to people, I'm like, okay, like a boat is under 35 feet, a yacht is over you know, 35 feet and it goes to some number that no one's really defined. And then mega yacht is this range of boats. And then there's yep. the super yachts. Right. So I've just had to do a quick conversion because I think in meters, but as far as the industry is concerned, a super yacht is either 25 meters plus, which is 82.021 feet, as you know, or it's 30 meters which is basically 100 feet so that's 98 foot so depending on your Mm. definition it's either yeah 30 or 25 meters and then this question of mega yacht giga yacht super yacht terry yacht whatever at least in terms of how i see it it's a super yacht and then if you're an american it might be a mega yacht but anything else is just mudding the waters I don't like terror, giga, <laughs> giga. It just gets a bit ridiculous. But so, so for for our listeners, so just tell us a little about like what each of these even mean. Like, because Meryl and I know, you know, the smaller boats, the forties and even the sixties. Yeah. You know, we've been and we've been on like a hundred foot boat. But then what happens once you, or even like maybe, and we we can fill in the gaps about the forties and sixties and hundreds. But what happens once you cross a hundred feet? What does that boat even look like? What what are the amenities on board? Yeah. So basically, as as far as I see it. Once you're over the, the 25 meters, it's it's a super yacht and that's it. That's the end of it. I don't make a, a demarcation after that point. So it's a super yacht and then that's it. Even if you get up to like 200 meters, for example. Just the name of um, a Terra yacht. I mean, I feel like that's such a badass name. I'm going to have to find one of those on the market. Absolutely. I think I might have just made it up, but certainly <laughs> I've heard Giga Yacht before. Sweet. Damn, that was really good. I yeah. really like yeah. your voice. So what is a day in the life of Georgia when you're when you were working for the Super Yacht Times? What would you have to do? What was the, the day like? Okay. So basically it was a question of getting myself first and foremost to the office in Amsterdam, <laughs> which involved the absolutely wonderful commute of a ten to fifteen minute cycle ride through Amsterdam city, well, Amsterdam city center, past the beautiful churches and canals. I mean, it was a, not really much of a hardship, to be honest. So I'd have my like 15 minute cycle to work and then get in, open the inbox and then deal with whatever had happened in the industry since I was last in the office. So it'd basically be writing up press releases and publishing them and getting things online. And then on more uh, rare occasions, it would be traveling to boat shows and going to the printers to see the issue of the newspaper physically printed because that was one of the best parts of my job actually getting to oversee that physical print process which is quite rare nowadays actually in media um, but yeah largely at a desk look uh, dealing with emails and how many articles and press releases would you be working at at any given time it would it really depends that's the thing it, with a news job it depends kind of on the time of year. Like now, for example, is quite a busy time of year. There's lots of boat shows going on, lots of things happening in the industry. Um, and also you have to bear in mind, it wouldn't just be me. There'd be the editors and then we'd have 
you know, at least a staff writer and an intern helping to pick up the articles. So on a good day, we'd probably get like between eight and 10 things online, um, but that wouldn't all be done by me. There'd be a few of us working on it and then working on longer term stuff as well, like for the printed newspaper, longer features. Are there a lot of, you know, publications out there in the super yacht industry or were you guys one of the bigger ones? Well, Super Yacht Times is certainly one of the one of the leaders, but there are a few. Um, there's Boat International, based in London. They're quite uh, they're the main competitor to Super Yacht Times, I would say. But there's quite a few others as well, dotted all around the world. Wherever people are interested in boats and yachts, you'll get a Super Yacht publication. So you know, lots in the Med uh, and also further afield in the States, Russia, other places. Did you ever go out to Russia? No, not with the. Um, not with work. I went on a school trip when I was about 15, but I haven't been for work, no. What is um, your dream gig? Dream gig? Oh, it would have to be going to Scandinavia on a yacht, staying on a yacht, and then, you know, going kayaking on the fjords and diving and exploring that area of the world by yacht. I say that because I know a couple of people who did that, and I was extremely jealous. <laughs> Interesting. And but So, Georgia, I want to backtrack a bit. Tell us more about, like, what sort of articles and stuff you were writing for the New York Times? Like, was it like New Yachts or Destinations or? Yeah, like- so so Super Yacht Times is primarily a news publication. So mm-hmm. their, their USP, uh, when I was there at least, was very much getting the news online first, which, you know, from a, a Google point of view is, is good because then you know you get to the top of google and you get very good traffic to your site so that was kind of the priority was getting it fast so a lot of it was news stuff for the website and that would be your yacht deliveries so yachts being handed over to their owners yacht launches yachts being commissioned so every time a yacht was sold with write about it every time a yacht was you know moved to its place where the owner would pick it up we'd cover that um just basically yachts moving around wow. because and that's interesting to people because there's you know such big objects you wouldn't write yeah. that about little boats would you yeah and you wouldn't think it would be public information sort of like that either right well yeah it totally depends on the um, the owner because uh, hmm. some projects they they want to keep private and they don't want to announce that it's been delivered or launched but Uh, not all are like that and it's also quite obviously quite good for the shipyard from a marketing promotional point of view to be able to wave their flag and say hey look we've delivered this absolutely incredible project you know for an American owner who we're not going to name but you know this 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 so it's finding that balance I think between privacy and also them wanting to continue to have work going forward are you afraid of sharks am I afraid of sharks yeah. I'm more afraid of people, I think, than I am of, <laughs> of sharks. If you look at the number of people killed by sharks and then the number of sharks killed by people, I mean, crikey. Well, you know. I guess, what's the difference between a super yacht owner and a shark? Yeah, that's a very good point. <laughs> I guess super yacht owners don't have to keep swimming in order to be alive. Darn it. And they also tend to have smaller teeth. But not always, actually. That's not true. That's not true. Don't quote me on that one. <laughs> so do you do you like your profession, the, the writing profession? Yes, I do. Yeah. I, I absolutely, absolutely do. And I feel so incredibly lucky that I get to do something so interesting and so creative mm-hmm. and people will pay me for it. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I, I started off writing professionally when I was about 
15 and I'd write articles for people for, you know, 20 pounds an article or whatever. And it's mm-hmm. built from there. And it's just absolutely phenomenal to be able to come up with something creative and every single article pretty much with no exception feels like the opportunity to do that for people and getting the positive responses from clients just makes it you know absolutely worth it really really does i'd recommend it to anyone even though it can be quite hard to get a um, Mm. decent decent paying writing job nowadays because there's just so many people wanting to do it Mm. well it does sound cool so that's probably why everyone wants to do it yeah yeah and and are you are you branching out that way are you you seeing this sort of like you said like there's so many writers out there you know so the supply is definitely picking up as well Mm -hmm. and i I don't know about the demand but like now there's social media there's you know other ways to articulate articulate yourself and get your voice heard how are you branching out well i think the important thing about how to to make sure that you do sort of stand out is both this idea of yeah branching out and being flexible and being willing to do you know all different types of writing I'll say if someone says oh can you help with social media posts can you help with newsletter can you help with longer pieces you know just saying yes to any opportunity you get in that sense because even if you've not done it before you can pick it up because it's all a very similar skill set and then you've got another string to add to your bow so so that's good but then in terms of you know you've mentioned so many other writers the way that I think I've managed to keep work and and keep my name, you know, keep myself a little bit known in the industry is just being niche, like be as niche Mm -hmm. as you possibly can. Because Mm -hmm. if I wanted to write about, you know, the state of the world at the moment and Brexit or, you know, Russia or something, there's going to be thousands of people wanting Mm. to write about the same thing. But Mm. if you find your niche and you find the thing that you can write about that is a bit different, clients will trust you to do that and you're not having to compete with thousands and thousands of other people for the same job just a question of supply and demand and so you just Mm -hmm. can't be too picky when you start like if I'd said oh I couldn't possibly write about boats I'm not Mm -hmm. interested in boats I don't know anything about boats we wouldn't be where I am today and now I am interested in boats because you can develop it kind of organically yeah we've seen all sorts of you know wild writing when it comes to boats obviously there's a huge group of people that are just you know, they hear boat and they're like, oh, well, I could never get into that. So they never get in. But the people that are like, oh, yeah, we can do a ton of research. We'll figure it all out. And then they uh, send you back an article and it makes zero sense about boats. Um, you know, yep. you've seen That's that. happen a lot. Oh, really? And it's not it's not just articles, though. It's it's true of just communication in general is that like what Georgia was saying is that you, it is a niche. Um, just communicating well is a niche on its own anyway. And then boating or marine stuff is a niche. And then finding somebody who can boat or rather knows the terms and blah, 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 and everything and writes well, you know, is a super niche. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. right. So you managed, and especially, and then you've even dug further. You've gone into the super yacht industry, which is like <laughs> super, super niche, right? <laughs> so, and, and, but you're right then when, when you become that sort of targeted then then you can name your price right your own price absolutely that's the thing and you just have to show people that you can do it and and have the confidence uh, Mm. and then you you quickly find that you can do it and people give you the trust and i have to say although it may be surprising the marine and cpo industries are some of the warmest friendliest working Mm -hmm. environments you can possibly ask for everyone is so sort of dedicated Mm. and passionate about what they do 
Mm-hmm. And it's just been such a warm, welcoming environment to come into as a graduate fresh out of university. You know, it's not corporate. Mm. It's not, you know, dog eat dog world or, or whatever. Yep. It's actually yep. very, very friendly. And yep. it meant that I could rock up to the Monaco Yacht Show as a 22 year old, mm. you know, not from an extremely affluent background or whatever and feel comfortable because mm. the people there are just fantastic. And as long as you care about the boats and you care about what they're doing, they'll respect that and respond to it. And you can have really, really interesting conversations. Nothing pretentious whatsoever about it, in mm. my, at mm. least in my experience. Mm. And you're right. And, and a couple of uh, our guests on our shows have sort of mentioned this, is that people who basically live on the water, and if you've got a super yacht, you at least some of the time live on the water, those people are usually on their on on a certain wavelength. You know, they're not overly stressed. Usually, <laughs> yeah, they're not. Again, this is not like a general rule or anything. But versus the doggy dog world that you were describing on sort of land, you know, where everybody's just out to get their peace. Once you're on a boat and everybody's on the same boat, you know, like it's much more. There's much more camaraderie, perhaps even. Definitely, because you have right. you know you've all got a shared. Um, shared experiences and a shared goal of you know getting from A to B and not ending up with the sharks so I think Mm. that's probably got something to do with it Mm. so how were you you know doing all this writing and whatnot how exactly are you promoting yourself are you just built up a word of mouth you know business model in which people know who you are and they reach out to you or are you actively like market yourself well I have to say I am very lucky in that when I left my position at Superior Times, which was on very good terms, actually, the boss of the company gave me permission to email basically everyone in my contacts and tell them I was going freelance, which was kind of him, actually. Um, and that's all I needed. I just emailed everyone in my contacts with my freelance email address and said, you know, it's been w- wonderful working with you, seeing you at the shows. I'm going to be freelance. If you want to work with me, you know, you can get in touch. And that's honestly all it's taken because... A few days after I sent that, you know, my inbox was full of people saying, oh, Mm. you know, we'd love to work with you. Um, And it was, you know, kind of my old boss to let me do that. Um, You know, he didn't have to. Mm -hmm. And that meant that, you know, when I was at shows as well, people actually recognize who I am. I'm thinking, what? Me? How do you know Mm. me? But I mean, Mm. there aren't that many writers in Mm. the industry. So, you know, Mm. uh, it's maybe not too surprising. But yeah, all word of mouth. I'm hoping to launch a website this year, um, which will just be very basic sort of landing page, how to contact me, a few examples of work and and a couple of Mm. pictures. Mm. Um, But I certainly haven't had to kind of aggressively market myself, which I'm very grateful for because that's not really my style. That's a good place. Yeah, that's a good place to be in. What three tips for someone that is interested in getting into writing and you know, going down the the path that you took, what would they be? Okay. I'd say the first one I've I've already mentioned, but yeah, do your best to find your niche. Try and find a thing that you can write about that makes you, you know, useful to someone because people are not going to pay you to write about things you're interested in from the off. You can make the thing you write about something you're interested in. And I feel I've been really able to do that with what I do, but do not assume that you can write anything and people will pay you for it. Go the other way around, find your niche. And then also, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but don't be too precious. You will be edited and that's a good thing. You know, I've spent my whole career (laughs) 
being edited and now I, you know I edit as well mm. as one of my mm. services but don't get precious about your writing because it's going to be edited for a reason there mm. will be occasions where it gets edited and it's worse than what mm. you sent in and again mm. take the money <laughs> and mm. accept it because <laughs> mm. that's part of the process the client knows best uh, even mm. if they don't if you want the gig again just give them what they want absolutely and then mm. third one just again slightly cliche but read as much as you can like honestly i i do put down my moderate success in writing to the fact that i read absolutely voraciously as a child uh, and i hope that kids still do read I, i don't know i don't have children myself but it really really helps if you have a wide vocabulary because you know sometimes you'll have to write the same story about a yacht being delivered and it makes it a lot more interesting mm. to the wider world if you've got many different ways of saying that and mm. that will only come by reading widely and exposing yourself to how other people do things basically good stuff okay so georgia i do want to dig a little deeper into a, a couple of things one of them and again and, and you tell me how you feel about this but like on smaller boats is already about like pure like attention to detail especially the people who climb up the ladder yeah you know, like they just have this eye for you know detail they just see everything and it's just beautiful every single time and how important is that even in in what you're doing in writing especially when you're dealing with you know these super wealthy super yacht clients oh it's absolutely vital absolutely vital i mean one of the amazing things about a super yacht is basically obviously money is an object to some extent you know there is a budget but in some ways compared to other products money is no object which means it's an opportunity for talented craftsmen and women from all around the world to really really strut their stuff and show what they can do and that is one of the most amazing things about a yacht is it is this you know beautiful object that's been handcrafted a lot of the time with all the tiny little marble details and you know little details in the bathrooms and even the way the windows are curved just so many things are there and are done with such care and such attention because you know they're not having to worry too much about every single penny um so yeah it's absolutely vital and then in terms of how you write about a boat it's the same thing you know one of the striking things about working for super yacht times was how seriously people took our articles mm. it was mm. incredible i mean if i wrote an article and said the boat was 26.3 meters and it was actually 27 i would mm. sometimes get a call from mm. either the shipyard or the broker that had sold the boat saying by mm. the way you got mm. the length of our boat wrong you know people really do care about these things because it's such high value products and products mm. that they really really care about and so that is reflected as well in the care that you need to take when you write about it Um, mm-hmm. and, but that that I think is a is a great skill for any writer to learn that you know you can't be sloppy. These things matter because it's people's livelihoods. You know whether I write about a particular designer's thing that they've done on a yacht or not might be the difference between them getting the next job or not. You know you have to you can think about it that way. True, and and you sort of alluded to this before, but did you actually get to propose your own articles and stuff? Yes, that was one of the great things about CPO Times is. because it was very much a space where i got to grow from effectively an intern up to an editor there wasn't a strict structure of how things were done because it was very much growing um it started it's, it's not really a startup anymore but it it very much was when i when i was there 
um, I did get to have a lot of control over the content and the newspaper that they print now quarterly, but used to be every two months, I could basically set the tone of a lot of that content working with Marine, who runs the company. But yeah, a lot of my stupid ideas would make it in there in the end so, because so there maybe, was no one to tell me no. Maybe some tips on that though. Like how does a writer sort of approach, uh, you know, it, I don't know if it would be considered cold calling, but for all intents and purposes it might be and say, yeah. hey, you, you know, you should use these articles. I, I work, yeah. How, how does one do that? Well, the thing is, because Super York Times has a really fantastic reputation, it was mm. tended to be the other way around. People would come to us and say, please, will you write about us? Um, mm. So it was more, you know, it'd be a question of finding out what's actually interesting because they all think that they're interesting, of course, and, and they are to some extent, but, you know, there are only so many topics in the industry. So you have to think about how to make it different from last year's, you know, yachting publication that covered quite similar boats. But there was never a problem getting enough content. The main thing is, how do I make this content different to the 26 other articles that have been written about this boat? Mm. And that's the challenge, actually. That's the fun challenge of it. And what about the freelance side of Yeah, in terms of pitching to people. Pitching, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just ideas are very much important currency. And and one of the lessons Mm. you have to learn is not to give it away. That's been one of my learning points, actually, that if I propose Mm. a load of articles for publication, they may well say, brilliant, we'll do that in-house. Thank you for the ideas. That's happened to me before. Mm. Um, So you have to be quite careful, I think, with pitching too much because coming up with a a fun article about a boat can be quite difficult for people. So, Mm. um, so yeah, but in terms of finding enough work, I'm I'm lucky enough that that's not really been an issue recently, but... Yeah, it's just having a, a decent, strong, succinct pitch that makes the client's life as easy as possible. So saying, you know, I've got these people lined up. I can do this. It'll be interesting to your readers because this. Can I do it? Chances are they'll say, yeah, go on then. And you made it sound really simple there. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's just like a two plus two equals four. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So you have you have this down like a science then. Nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So, and then Meryl, you had a question? Yeah. So um, what other things are you doing outside of the marine industry that's writing involved? Well, the um, I do a bit of other writing that isn't marine based. Yes. Yeah. So I've recently been working with um, a publication called Parliamentary Society magazine. And I actually did one of my favorite interviews, um, which was with a, a Saudi journalist and it was basically about the time he got accused of being a terrorist by one of our wonderful tabloid publications. I think it was the Daily Star in the UK and it was basically an article looking at how he dealt with being branded a terrorist for which there was absolutely no evidence by the way and that being in some of the tabloid press and how we managed to contain the story and the fascinating thing about this story was that he did manage to contain it and basically rang up the rest of Fleet Street in London, the other where all the publications are based, and said, you know, please don't publish this story, it's not true. And they didn't. Mm. Nowadays, that would not happen. If you mm. were if that kind of slur was made and it was put on a social media platform, mm, for example, it'd be yeah. much, much harder to contain the story. And I thought it was a really interesting reflection on, you know, disinformation and, and the spread of that and how you can or can't contain it nowadays versus back then. Well, when I have some cover-ups to do, I'm going to definitely hit you up. 
Yeah, yeah do it. George is saying it. it's not possible anymore. It's not Mel. possible anymore. Yeah, yeah, don't do bad stuff. That's what she's saying. Okay. Or don't, but don't even get accused of doing. <laughs> yeah, that don't stuff. even. That's the thing. <laughs> That's the thing. Yep, you're right though. But outside of um, outside of the industry and outside of writing, I'm also training to be a, a counselor or a therapist. Um, I'm doing that at the moment, so that's my kind of other stuff alongside the writing, and and they work quite well together, actually. Surprisingly mm, I well, bet they it, do. Yeah. I mean, it's all just talking to people and, and listening to their stories. So yeah, you know, there's and quite a lot of overlap. Write better copy, and the copy helps you, yeah, you know, see what, especially now, like you said, with everything online, you can almost sort of see which copy does better than other copy, right? Yeah, definitely. What is one thing that you must never do when you're, you know, in the marine industry as a writer? Well, one thing you must never do is commit to too many things that you can't mm. actually deliver on time. And I say mm. that having always having done that before. But yeah, basically Deep it's a stuff. Cool, yep. it's basically <laughs> a question of knowing yourself and being realistic about how long something actually will take you to do because the worst thing you don't want to overpromise to a client and underdeliver that's mm. uh, that's a pretty big no no but also in my experience people tend to be very understanding if if you just communicate with people and say look xyz has happened the article's going to take a, a, just a little bit longer they tend to be um a lot more responsive so i'd actually change that to say well, one thing you must never do is ghost a client <laughs> Yeah, that just gets nasty. Also not a fan of ghosting in personal life as well. That I think the pandemic has made a few people a little bit keen on ghosting and I think it's a mm. can be a pretty immature way of dealing with someone that you mm. don't want to deal mm. with. True that. So, on maybe Georgia tell us about the best gig you ever was, the funnest did you like maybe it involved a you know 300 foot boat or something. Yeah, I have to say um the most kind of intellectually stimulating thing i've had to write was probably that thing i just described about the that um, one? Mm. the palestinian thing the palestinian the, uh, thing exactly but in terms of the most fun i quite mm. enjoy enjoyed going around supiot uh it was called tiz at the time the, the name has now changed uh it's on a 111 meter lursen yacht and the mm. interior of it is basically like it's come out of versailles it's absolutely mm. stunning it's the most ornate thing you've ever seen helipads just absolutely everything you could possibly want on board a superyacht and mm. one of and at monaco i got to go around and basically just bask in how ridiculously mm. beautifully ornate this yeah, thing was take notes i need to take notes and yeah. pictures and yeah exactly interesting and it was it was like being in a palace it really mm. really was um, yeah, and after palace. that oh. actually i got a little bit complacent because i thought you know what i've seen it <laughs> 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 i don't need to see any more boats i've I've, uh, i've seen the biggest but it's very much not the biggest actually 111 oh, meters boy. is big but there's there's bigger out there so yeah wow. still more to see still what's more the, to see what's the worst job you've ever had worst job i think I think the hardest bit of doing any news writing is probably the fast turnaround with articles. So I think the hardest parts of you know having worked for a news publication is just that thing of having to turn an article around very quickly whilst at a boat show. It can get quite mm. stressful because there's no internet, but you feel like it needs to get online within 20 minutes or else you'll mm. lose your top spot on Google. You know, and really in the scheme of things it's not a big deal, but when you're like 20 years old and really really wanting to do well in your job, it can be very stressful. 
But now I don't do breaking news in, in the same way. So it's a little bit more laid back. Um, but I really, really do respect the people who have to cover news in any form at that pace because it can be relentless. So have you ever lost a gig? Like what happened? Um, I think I've never lost a gig, really. Um, I have... 100% success rate. Congratulations. Well, I'm not sure. I've been approached and then given them my rates and then they've Mm. gone for someone cheaper. So Mm. I don't know if that counts as losing a gig. But I've Mm. never started something and then a client said, you know what, we don't want to work with you anymore. It's, It's more been that they've... Their priorities have been, you know saving money which is absolutely fine because there are mm. people who will do what I do for less and that's fine but I mm. you know I, I back myself so, <laughs> mm. so, and, so, and so luckily so. there seem to be a few people who do as well not just me <laughs> <laughs> and so where do you where are you on that debate some people would be like you should tell people your prices straight up front some people are like yeah price is the last thing you discuss where, where do you find yourself on that well, I do have a lot of Dutch clients, so I can't get away with not telling them my price because they're incredibly direct. Mm. <laughs> so that doesn't work. But no, I think up front, um, really, I think, you know, if someone emails and asks the rate, I'll say this is my rate because mm. at the moment, that's fine. There's enough people who are happy. And I also, I know it's a fair rate. I know that I'm, you know, in representative of how other people do it in the industry. So I think the more transparency, the better. But also, you need to be flexible, you know, if if they really can't pay that. And, you know, I'll need to see their bank statements to prove... No, <laughs> But, you know, have some, have some flexibility, yeah. but you don't want to sell yourself short because you're doing what you're doing for a reason. You're good at what you do. And also, you're not paid for the time you're not working, if that makes sense. You know, there's mm, so mm, much mm. time doing admin, emails, chasing invoices, all that. And that is not factored into your rates unless yeah. you make an active effort to do so so it may yep. sound like a big number to you but when you think about all the time you're not getting paid for it, it suddenly starts to make a lot more sense hmm. but so, so shed some light on that because you had a nine to five for years and then you know and and it's almost like you're entrepreneurial at that level right is that you took the jump and you're like i'm gonna do my freelance thing yeah. and now you know that that fixed income is gone you know like how how is that jump for you and like how have you adapted to it i mean it is definitely a jump but i also love it's a personality type i think i'm very much love having control of control of my own destiny uh, which is a bit of a again slightly cliche mm. thing to say but that's how it feels because everything you're doing you're doing for yourself and for your client so you know you get a little dopamine hit you get a little reward for every single article you publish because you know you charge per article and Mm. so if you work hard at what you're doing you will get rewarded for that whereas in a nine to five it doesn't necessarily go that way because you know you're you're given a a fixed amount of money no matter what you do which Mm -hmm. means all those cliches about standing around the water cooler which aren't really so much (laughs) the thing now we've had covid Mm. but i just love the idea of you know i can take the morning off but then work really, really hard into the evening if I need to. And no one no one can tell me otherwise. So maybe I'm completely unemployable from now on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that, that, that freedom, honestly, uh, you know, I've not made millions and millions of euros in my first year of freelance, as is often the case. People don't, you know, it takes mm. time. Mm-hmm. But that freedom is worth its weight in gold. And you think the, the ceiling is just a glass ceiling? It could be millions and millions. Well, let's see, but uh, it doesn't. Ooh. It doesn't. No, that's need good to, to be. hear. 
right? It was almost <laughs> like teachers and writers and stuff weren't making enough money, and now they are, I guess. I don't know. I think that, to be honest, in my experience, the people who seem to be making the most money doing writing are doing it on a freelance basis. Because, That's a good way to look at it. Yep. Yeah, because I think a lot of publications don't value it as much as they could. But when you're doing it freelance, you value yourself and you can set your rate and then people will either be prepared to pay it or they won't. Mm. But some entry level publishing jobs in the UK, I don't know what it's like in the US, but they're absolutely terribly paid. And again, it's it's supply and demand. People are willing mm-hmm. to do it for that. So they, they won't be paid any more than that, really. Mm. That's interesting. Well, look at that. So yeah, so let's maybe start wrapping stuff up. Georgia, any pro tips you would like to share with us on your way out? Hmm. I think I'd just like there to be a bit more awareness of the fact that marine and yachting jobs actually exist. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to work on that by working, you know, with various recruitment agencies within the industries to write their blogs for them to try and make the industry more accessible and i know the word accessible and super yacht may sound like somewhat <laughs> of a contradiction in terms but if you think about it but it's they need the a crew, ide- right yeah, for example it's the yeah. ideal graduate job this is what i mean yep. or even just a gap year job you finish mm-hmm. school you don't know what you want to do you could go work in a, a pub or a restaurant in your local town or mm-hmm. you can learn, you know, you can learn on the job, get very good tips. So I've mm-hmm. heard, travel mm-hmm. around the world, learn mm-hmm. some skill sets and get qualifications that you can actually use back on land. Yep. You know, if, if you gain these hospitality qualifications and, you know, learn how to do laundry really well, learn how to do all these things or technical things in terms of the actual, you know, operation of the boat, you can use those skill sets back on land have a few months with your friends traveling the world and then you know also save for a mortgage or a house deposit i I do know people who've got their entire house deposit from you know working a couple of seasons on a boat and you will not get that from working in a pub so i think there's just not and also there's a massive shortage of crew at the moment i don't know how it is outside of the super industry but there is actually a big uh, a big gap in the market for crews so um, yeah, I think it just well, it goes to back have a bit to what more we were awareness. saying, right? Is that it's such a super niche that like 0.01% of people are ever going to see that. So if you manage to, you know, get a seat on a boat like that, yeah, it'd be it'd be a great experience. Fun, absolutely. And the thing is, obviously, buying a yacht that is mm. always going to be niche. I will mm. never own a yacht. Well, mm. never say never. Never. But say I, that. I am yeah. unlikely to ever own a yacht. But I have been on them and I have been able to see it and experience it and meet the craftsmen and women and write about it because it's accessible in that way. You know, you can be involved in the industry and participate without having to be, you know, a millionaire or a billionaire. And I completely understand why people don't know that, but it would be good if more people did. Well, don't worry, Georgia. I'll invite you onto my terror yacht. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So, Georgia, where can people find out about you and get a hold of you well as i said i don't quite yet have the website ready so it would have to be very old school um, just an email so the email to reach me for any sort of uh, work would be just my name georgia tyndale at gmail.com i keep it simple uh in terms of how to get in touch but there will be a very exciting website launched hopefully this year and then that'll uh, you know have all my stuff on it awesome, awesome. let us know if we can help you with anything Thank you. Yeah. Best of luck, Georgia. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Good luck with all your super yard adventures, okay? <laughs> Thank you. Hopefully we'll have you back at some point. 
Shipshape.pro, the number one resource in the U.S. for marine professionals. Professional.